You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, so uh, the last two Sundays, Jimmy has worked through 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, there's a lot in that text. The second half that he talked through last week uh, deals with communion or the Lord's Supper. So that's kind of what we spent our time in last week, thinking through uh, that together. And today, I want to pick up one phrase in the second half of 1 Corinthians 11, and I just sort of want to direct our attention to this one phrase and then think that phrase through with you today. And here is the phrase. You're going to find it in verse 28. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28 starts like this. Let a person examine himself. That's our phrase. Let a person examine himself. Now, that phrase is spoken to the church in Corinth in the context of communion. So if you can just imagine the church in Corinth, they are enjoying communion together. But like all of us, this church is an absolute mess. I mean, it is crazy town going on in this particular church. Uh, in the Corinthian church, the, the rich are cutting in front of the poor. And uh, by the time the poor get to the communion table, there's nothing left for them. So, so you've got that going on in the Corinthian church. Uh, the, the rich are not only sort of oppressing and cutting uh, before the poor in that way, but, but the rich are grabbing the wine of the communion elements and they're getting drunk at communion. I mean, just imagine that. Communion has turned into a frat party in the Corinthian church. This is what Paul's addressing in this text. They are a messed up crew of people. But before we sort of look down our nose at them, we just need to recognize that the scripture is clear that we are all a messed up people. If we were to grab a video camera and follow you around for the next month, and that video camera recorded everything you did and why you did everything you did. It, it knew both of those two things. It could see all of that going on in your life and in your heart. And then it projected it to the world. Just like the Corinthian church, there'd be a whole lot of people saying that person is really messed up, right? It's true for all of us. We are all messed up. And this is why Paul says, hey, before you take communion, you probably ought to do this. Let a person examine Himself. Now, what does it mean to examine yourself? What, what is Paul talking about? Uh, let me just give you a working definition. That means uh, this. It, it's looking at your life with others for the sake of seeing sin. That's what Paul is referring to. It's looking at your life with others for the sake of seeing sin. Paul is inviting the Corinthian church to examine themselves. Now, in some ways, when I read this command uh, right in the context of this communion moment, it's almost comical to me. You wouldn't think that Paul needs to tell a church that's getting drunk at communion, church, you, you might have a problem there. You might want to think about that. You might want to take a minute to, to look at this. You wouldn't think Paul would, would have to say that. Uh, you, you would think this would be really obvious. You'd think the church would be the one raising their hand to Paul and saying, Paul, we have a problem. Can you help us? That's not how it went. Paul's having to point these things out to them. Well, why is that? Well, it's because sin is not obvious in their life. And friend, sin is not obvious in your life. This is why Paul says you need to examine yourself because these things are not obvious. Maybe you could think of it this way. In, in our lives, sin always dresses in camouflage. See, just the, the sort of DNA of sin is that it resists detection. 
It doesn't like to be seen. So you could just think about examples of this. Uh, when David murdered Uriah to cover his sin, I doubt it felt like murder to David. I think it felt like a military commander just doing his job. This is the reason lust so often in our life feels like love to us. Why unjust or unrighteous anger so often feels like justice to us. Because sin always masquerades like something good, like something that it's not. It always dresses in camouflage. And this sin, which is so hard to see, is not for us, it's against us. This sin that is so hard to see is out to take our life, not to give us life. So Paul says, let a person examine himself. Look at your life with others for the sake of seeing sin. And notice that phrase, with others. Look at your life with others. Self-examination is not meant to be done by yourself. It's meant to be done with others. First with Jesus and then with friends. This is David in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 where David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is David with Jesus examining himself. Self-examination is not just you talking to you about you. That's not what it is. Self-examination is you talking with Jesus about you. That's self-examination. That's what it means. That's what Paul is after when he says, let a person examine himself. He's saying, hey, get, get with the Lord. Talk with the Lord and look at your life with him. God, what do you see about my life that I can't see? What, what do you want me to know about my life that right now I don't know? It's, it's getting with others. Hey, what, what do you see, friend, in my life that, that right now I'm probably having a hard time seeing that you think I should be aware of? Let a person examine himself. Uh, let me illustrate it like this. Uh, for the last five or six years, I've started making yearly trips to the dermatologist. I don't know if you do that. I do that. People ask me, why do I do that? And I say back, just look at me. I mean, my skin is really pale, right? So um, the, the son and I are just not on speaking terms at all. Uh, in my world, really, there's only red and white. There is no such thing as tan. And I have been read way too many times in my life. So I've adopted this philosophy uh, that just says this. Uh, I've got to catch skin cancer before it kills me. That, that's my philosophy with uh, going to the dermatologist once a year. I just, I know uh, it's coming, skin cancer. It's just a matter of can I catch it before it kills me? Now, I think in a lot of ways, that's a good metaphor for sin and the need for self-examination. Uh, we go to the doctor, right, for, for this moment of, of self-examination. We put ourselves in, in the, the doctor's room with Jesus saying, hey, could we just do like a full body scan? Because it's not a matter of if sin is coming. It's not a matter of if sin will kill you, if it's unaddressed. All of those things are given. Here's the question in our life. Will we catch these things before they kill us? That should give us some sobriety, right, uh, uh, about self-examination. We are trying to find the cancer of sin in our life so it doesn't kill us. So it doesn't choke us out spiritually. Now, let me broaden what it means 
to examine yourself for a moment. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, in this chapter, self-examination is looking at your life with others for the sake of seeing sin. But more broadly in the Bible, the Bible has an appreciation for uh, something that's a bit wider when it comes to self-examination. The the self-examination is also looking at your life with others for the sake of seeing what we'll just call stuff. So yes, we want to see sin, and yes, we just want to sort of see the stuff of our life. All the stuff that that kind of makes up our life. We want to see that too. We want to notice things in our life. We want to to be observant about our life. The way we're responding to people. The the way we uh, operate at work. The way we just, the way we're living and thinking and seeing and doing. We just, we want to be observant about all of these things. Uh, On Friday night, Hannah, my daughter and I went to a wedding. And this wedding had a huge uh, kind of banquet hall venue type place. So, you know, you've got several hundred people spread across uh, this banquet hall and all these tables. You have a big dance floor in the middle. You've got a place for a buffet, for the food, all that stuff is set up. You've got this whole banquet hall. Now, for the purpose of this illustration, think of your life like life on the dance floor in the banquet hall. This is where your life is happening. You're dealing with people down there. You're going to work. You've got classmates. You're going to school. You're doing all the stuff that makes up your life is happening right there on the dance floor. It's you with with how you operate with money. It's all the stuff that makes up your life. It's you living your life. That's where your life is lived, is right there in the banquet hall on the dance floor. And every one of us need to take moments where we we move off the dance floor, uh, we, we climb the stairs in the back of the room, and we get up on the balcony so we can see our life. We, We can see what's happening in our life. We can see not just what's happening, but why it's happening, right? This is self-examination. It's getting off the dance floor of our life, climbing the stairs in the back of the room, and on the balcony being observant, just noticing what is going on in my life. Maybe you can think of it this way. Getting on the balcony helps us see the forest, not just the trees of our life. This helps us be observant to notice what is happening in our life. It helps us see not just that we got angry at that person, but, but why are we angry? Why, why are we getting angry? Not just that we got defensive in this moment, but it just gives us a chance to, to ask the question, why are we getting defensive? It gives us a chance not just to see, oh, I felt so insecure in that moment, but to ask the question, why do we feel insecure in that moment? Why is insecurity always knocking on me? It, just, it gives us a chance to notice these things, how I'm responding to people. It gives us a chance just to see these things in our life, to be curious about our life, to notice things with Jesus. It's it's getting up on the balcony with Jesus, just asking the Lord, will you help me see the things that you want me to see and pay attention to in my life? Now, I want to give you just a really practical way to do this. Um, We use this a lot with our staff and our church. Uh, We use the prayer of examine to help with this. I would so commend that to you. We've got, uh, at the start of the morning, we had 200 copies out in the resource area of the prayer of examine. just a free resource for you out there. We're also going to send that out to everyone this week. But it essentially just gives you a moment to do this work of examination in your life uh, in a consistent way. So it gives you a chance to practice four things. One, it starts with just being present with the Lord. 
Uh, you just communing with Jesus for a moment. Uh, then it gives you a chance to express gratitude to Jesus. So look at your life from the balcony and ask the question, what all is happening in my life that I can point to and thank you, Jesus, for these things? Uh, then it gives you a chance to reflect, to look back over the last day, the last week, the last month, the last six months, and, and ask questions about them, to replay conversation, just to, to get on the balcony with Jesus and say, what is it that you want me to notice about the last six months? And then it gives you a chance to respond. In light of what you've seen, uh, what would Jesus have you do? And I would so commend the prayer of examine for you. Again, it's going to be out in the resource area. You're welcome to pick one of those up uh, on your way out today. So Paul says, let a person examine himself. And let me be clear that the goal of that is not just to see the sin and stuff in our life. It is to repent of the sin and stuff in our life that needs to be repented of. That, that's the goal. It's to become more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. That's what we're after, to turn from the sin that's killing us in our life and to come back home to Jesus, the one who is giving us life. That's the goal of self-examination. That, that's what we're after. But if we refuse to see the sin and stuff in our life and to turn from those things, to repent of those things, to exercise what the Bible would call personal discipline in these areas. Where we're seeing these things and we're using personal discipline. We're turning from these things and coming back home to Jesus. If we refuse to do that, then what? Well, Paul shows us the two options in our life. And there's only two in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, here are the two options. Number one, we will discipline ourselves or here's option two, Jesus will discipline us. But those are the only two options. We'll discipline ourselves or Jesus will discipline us. So look at verse, uh, verses 30, 31, and 32. You, you see Paul addressing this there. He's talking to a church who is refusing to see these things and turn from these things, refusing discipline, personal discipline in these areas. And he says, this is why you're getting drunk at communion. You're oppressing the poor. Right? There's all sort of factions and pride going on in the church. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let me just point out a couple of things, a couple of observations. Number one, Paul's using the word judged and discipline in the same way. So those are synonyms in this text. And what is discipline? Well, discipline is what a parent does, not to a child, but for a child when they refuse to, to listen and obey. When they keep choosing things that a parent knows this is going to kill them one day. This is not going to be good for them. A parent disciplines them. A parent introduces pain into their life so that that child will start to associate this pain with these unwise and sinful actions. That, that's what discipline is, right? And this is what Paul is talking about with that word judged and discipline. And then here's the second observation. Uh, Paul is looking at the church and saying, church, Jesus is, is, you're under discipline right now. Jesus is disciplining you. That, that's what's happening, church. Uh, he, Paul says, this is why some of you are weak and ill and have even died. That is the discipline of Jesus on this church. It's a severe mercy that Jesus is bringing to this church. It's painful discipline that Jesus is bringing to this church. Here's the third observation. Paul is looking at the church and saying, here is the reason you are under discipline by Jesus. It's because you will not discipline yourself. 
You, you will not see the sin and stuff in your life that needs to be turned from and then repent of those things. You're choosing your sin, not Jesus. That's the reason Jesus has come with discipline. It's because you're refusing to see and repent. That's why. It's not because Jesus hates you. It's actually out of a love. It's springing this discipline from the loving heart of God for you. He loves you too much to let you wreck your life. He loves you so much that he will even introduce painful things to reclaim your heart. Verse 28, let a person examine himself. Again, in this context, that is happening before communion, right? But what happens prior to communion is meant to be practiced consistently. It's not just meant to be, a, you know, before we take communion up here with our church family. It's, now, this is meant to be a normal habit in the Christian life. Let a person examine himself. And you know, when you think about a year, there's a couple of natural breaks in a year for this type of work to happen. One of those natural breaks is January 1, kind of the start of the year. Another one of those natural breaks is July 1, the middle of the year. And that's where we are, church family. We are right there at the middle of the year. It's just a natural break for us to do this. Let a person examine himself, to look at our lives with others for the sake of seeing sin and stuff that the Lord would want us to see. So here's the big picture encouragement today. Church family, we're at that place in the year. It's a natural break. Let's do this work together. Uh, of the very thing Paul is saying, let a person examine himself. Let's do that together. Now, I want to take a minute for the rest of our time to apply this. And listen, we, we could pick 30 areas, and, and there probably are 20 or 30 areas of your life that you need to do some of this work with this week as we hit the midpoint of the year. It's marriage, it's singleness, it's, it's all the stuff in our life, right? But I want to give you three areas for you to practice this, for you to examine yourself today and this week. Okay, three areas. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this in with three questions. Here's question one. Am I enjoying Jesus? Am I enjoying Jesus? In a lot of ways, this is the most important question of your life. Are we finding Jesus, the bread of life, to be satisfying to us? Do we have an appetite for him? Or have we lost our spiritual appetite? So just Even now, you can take a moment with Jesus to look at your life. Jesus, what? what Will you help me see the answer to this question? Am I enjoying you, Jesus? I love the Beatitudes. Uh, they're the first part of Jesus' first recorded sermon. And in a lot of ways, Jesus is setting the stage for us to see, kind of the framework for us to see the Christian life within. What is life with Jesus going to look like? Well, the Beatitudes, it's what it's going to look like. So Jesus starts out, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then he gets to the fourth beatitude. And here's what Jesus says. Here's what life with me is going to look like. Blessed. That could be translated happy. Happy is the one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases this. He says it this way. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God because he's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. That is so true. He is the best meal you will ever, ever eat. Am I enjoying Jesus? Again, it's the most important question of our life. John Stott says, there is perhaps no greater secret of progress in Christian living than a healthy, hearty, spiritual appetite. 
There's just nothing more important than knowing that and having that, a spiritual appetite for Jesus. Uh, Just think about this physically. When you lose your physical appetite, here's what everybody knows. There's something wrong right? It's a warning sign that something is not right physically. And in the same way, when you lose your spiritual appetite, when Jesus has just sort of grown dull to you, boring to you, when other things out there in the world are are bigger and brighter to your heart, when that's happened, it is a warning sign that something is wrong spiritually, that something is off, that your heart is sick in these ways. There's this moment when my man Harry Potter finds himself in front of the mirror of Erised. If you're a Harry Potter guy, you know this moment. So he finds himself in front of this mirror, but it's a unique mirror in that it reflects back to you what your heart most wants. Can you imagine that moment? So could we all just put ourselves in front of the mirror of Erised for a moment? And just let's look at the mirror and ask Jesus to show us, what is it that my heart wants most? that I have the biggest appetite for, that my heart enjoys the most? What is it that I want most? And if what comes back in that mirror in front of you is anything other than Jesus, it is a warning your heart is spiritually sick. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be tended to this morning. Repentance needs to happen where we turn from what's killing us and we come back home to the one giving us life. Am I enjoying Jesus? How's your spiritual appetite? That's question number one. Question number two. Again, this is just a way for us to examine ourselves. Question number two. Am I joyfully generous? Is that true in my life? Or we could ask it this way. Has greed crept into my heart? just crawled down into my heart and made a home there. You know, it's amazing to read the scriptures and recognize that there are 2,350 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possession. Uh, 15% of everything Jesus says addresses money and possessions. 16 out of his roughly 40 parables, almost half of the parables Jesus gives addresses in some way money and possessions. If you were to combine all the verses about faith and prayer, there would be twice as many on money and possessions as all of those verses on faith and prayer. So it does make us ask the question, why is the Bible giving all of that real estate to money and possessions? Why does Jesus talk about it so much? Why does the the Bible talk so much about that? Here's the answer. It's because Jesus loves you. And he knows that money and possessions is a ruthless competitor for the affection of your heart. It's true for every one of us that money and possessions is a ruthless competitor for the affection of our hearts. When Jesus is addressing money and possessions, it's not because he wants something from us. It's because he wants something for us, for us to be free from the love of money, free from greed free to love him with our whole heart. Randy Alcorn is right when he says, there's a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. That is so true. These two things are intimately connected. Your true spiritual condition and how you operate with money and possessions. I agree with that. I think Jesus agrees with that. If you'll just read the story of the rich young ruler, I think you'll begin to agree with that. That these two things are deeply connected. 
greed. Uh, Greed is an inordinate desire for money and material things. Greed is a spiritual killer in our life. Uh, This is the reason Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 that uh, this desire for money and material things, greed, he's saying it has plunged people into ruin and destruction. Because of this love of money that people have wandered away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many pangs. That is the danger of money and possessions. It is a spiritual killer. And in our culture, greed has become so common that it's almost impossible to see. I mean, just picture the moment when uh, being insane is normalized in our life. So that it, 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 insanity looks normal and common to us. That that is our culture with greed. It it is so um, embedded into our culture that it's become almost impossible to see. So much so that listen to what John Stott says. I I read this a couple of sentences probably a decade ago, and I have never been able to get away from it. Listen to what he says. says, Our blindness to materialism, greed, and inordinate desire for money and material things is similar to the Western culture's blindness to the sin of slavery in the 18th and 19th centuries. Likely, future generations, should they look back, will regard our day with the same perplexity. How could they not have seen it? So just like we would look back and say, how did, how did those generations a couple hundred years ago, how did they not see slavery for what it was, an absolute evil? How did they not see that? He's saying in the same way, when future generations look back now upon our day and age, it is likely going to be the case that they're going to say the exact same thing. How did they not see that greed was just, sort of, it had just crawled into their lives and hearts in a way and just made a home? And how could they not have seen that? This is an area that needs examination, real examination in our life. And generosity is one of the ways Jesus has given us to fight against greed. Every time we give generously to Jesus, we are reminding our heart that Jesus, not money, is the one who satisfies us. We are reminding ourselves that that money is a gift, but it is not a God. It makes a terrible God in our life. Jesus is our God. Every time we give, we are reminding ourselves of that. And this way, generosity forms us. Right now, our generosity or lack thereof is having a profound shaping effect on our heart. And when the New Testament talks about giving, it sets a new standard for giving in the Bible. The New Testament standard for generosity is sacrificial generosity. So sacrificial generosity is we're giving in a way that's painful. We're giving in a way where it actually feels like it's cutting into some things in our life. That's sacrificial generosity. And so a tithe in the Bible, although a good thing in the Bible, is not sacrificial. The New Testament standard is not a tithe. If you think about a tithe in the New Testament, you could think of it as like training wheels on the bike called sacrificial giving. So we're all trying to learn how to ride the bike of sacrificial giving. And, and a tithe is a 10% of our, our income is a good training wheels to kind of get on the bike so we can kind of not crash on the bike. But it's training wheels on the bike of sacrificial giving. Uh, the New Testament standard is not a tithe. It is sacrificial giving. Giving all the way down into the places where it actually hurts. And, and by the way, anytime we're talking about giving, uh, 
before a lot of us can even really have that conversation on how generosity is looking in our life, we just need financial wisdom in our life. And so I just want to commend, uh, in August, we're going to start our next round of financial peace. And many of us, that would be a really great thing to jump into so that we can order things in our life in such a way where we can be sacrificially generous in the future. So that's coming in uh, the fall, in August. So this is an area, though. I, I, this is an area of examination for us to look at our lives, to ask questions about our life, to look at our life with Jesus, with others, and ask the question, how am I doing here? Am I joyfully generous? We are at the six-month part of the year. So here is the homework for everyone who calls Stonegate home. For you to be able to, you can go to the Church Center app to do this. You can go and you can see your generosity in the first six months of the year. You can just pull it up right there on the Church Center app. You can see it all right there. It's right there for you. And then for you, with Jesus, to ask the question, does that reflect sacrificial generosity? If not, this is going to be a moment for us to repent, to, to come back home to Jesus, to, to correct that so that it is sacrificially generous. But that's our homework this week, is to make sure we've looked back at the first six months of the year and asking that question, am I joyfully generous? Here's the third question. Third area to examine is, am I on mission with Jesus? Am I on mission with Jesus? You know, here's one of the ways I think about the work of preaching. It's reminding you of the most important truths of the universe, truths that that we are all so prone to forget. That's what preaching, so much of preaching is doing. It's taking the most important things and saying, can we just see these and, and align our life accordingly after we see these huge, massive truths? Can, can we do that? And I don't know of many truths in the Bible that are as sobering as this one, Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. That's the author of Hebrews saying, we all have one short life to live. And then we're all going to die. 100% of us are going to die. And after we die, we are going to stand before King Jesus. And after that judgment, we will either spend forever with him in heaven or forever apart from him in hell. Could, could there be anything more sobering? Those are the only options. Every neighbor you interact with, every friend, every classmate, everyone you know, everyone you see, either heaven or hell forever. On Wednesday, I caught word that that submersible, the Titan, had gone down 10,000 feet, over 10,000 feet, uh, five people on it to uh, look at the Titanic. And after a few days of no communication, uh, it was Wednesday now, and there was a sense of urgency in the way it was being presented uh, because they knew that the oxygen on that submersible was going to run out the next morning, Thursday morning. So I went to bed Wednesday night just thinking about what it would feel like for oxygen to be dwindling in kind of a submarine that I'm on. What would that feel like? What is that like? And Jesus just brought that as just such an apt metaphor for everyone in this world. That, that, that is life. That's a picture of our life. We are, we are in the submarine and we know time is short. We know oxygen is going to run out. And even if you live to 100, 
It's just like that fast. What we all know that. And beyond that moment of the oxygen running out stands King Jesus. And it will either be heaven or hell forever. And Jesus just, with, with that, seeing that, thinking about dwindling oxygen, just, just confronted me with that question of like, do, do I feel urgency around these things? Can I see in my life pleading prayer for people who don't know Jesus? A pursuit of people who don't know Jesus. Can, can I see that in my life? Am I on mission with Jesus? Are you on mission with Jesus? That, that's the question. So before we look forward to the next quarter, let's just, let's look back over the first half of this year. Are we on mission with Jesus? Can you see pleading prayer for the lost? Can you see a bold pursuit of those who are far from Jesus? Just take your, your one from this last three months. Can you see evidence in your life of pleading prayer for your one? Did you pursue them with the conversation of, of talking to them about Jesus, the most important thing in the universe? Did you open up that conversation with them? If not, this is a moment where we can repent. Again, it's just, this is, not, this is not a sermon to beat any of us up. It's really a sermon meant to bring us home to Jesus, to turn us from what's taking life and to bring us back to what's giving life, Jesus. It's to, it's to reposition us right there with him, on mission with him. That's the goal. And I just can't help but imagine there's a lot of repentance in each of our hearts that needs to take place, that we just have a hard time seeing that pleading prayer, that pursuit of the lost. But here's the good news today. If we weren't on mission in the first half of the year, we can leave here today on mission with Jesus. And here's the way that we normally do that around here is at the beginning of every quarter of the year, we ask the Lord for that one person that one person who is far from him that Jesus would want me to pray for and pursue over the next three months. So that's, that's how we're going to end this service is by doing that work of finding that one. And let me just clarify, it's not 10 people. It's just the one person the next three months that Jesus would have you pray for and pursue. And the question is not, who do you love most in your life that doesn't know Jesus? Uh, the question is, who, think proximity. Who is in your life? Who are you going to be interacting with over the next three months? Maybe it's a worker. Maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, a neighbor. Maybe it's a classmate. Who is in your life, though, that you're going to be interacting with? That's, that's who we're thinking about here. And like always, the goal is 100% participation. Everyone who calls Stonegate home, you're, you're in on this. You are asking the Lord for that one person that you will pray for and pursue over the next month. So here's how this is going to work for us. Uh, you can see there your card has two parts. You're going to write that name down on both of them. And you get to tear that card in half. You get to keep one. Just put that right there in your Bible. So every time you can use it as a bookmark. Every time you open your Bible, you can see that name and pray for them. The other half, you're going to bring up to one of these baskets. We've got them on stage here and at the back of the room. And, and here's what the, the act of bringing it up and putting it in this basket really is for you. It's, it's an offering. It's, it's offering that person. You're one who you love. It's offering them to Jesus. It's just an act of saying, God, will you rescue them and save them? God, would you give me courage to pray for them and to pursue them? Oh, God, would you do it? That, that's what that's about. So we're going to sing. I'm going to pray for you. And when you're ready, you can come and drop those cards in the basket. Will you bow with me?
going to give you just a moment to allow the Lord to interact with you, talk to you. Let a person examine himself. That's an invitation for you to look your life over with Jesus for the sake of seeing sin and stuff. Am I enjoying Jesus? Am I joyfully generous? And am I on mission with Jesus? So Father, would you help us see these things? Father, would you do that? Would you show us what you want us to see about our life? What you want us to notice? What needs to be addressed? What needs to be turned from, repented of? And it's in the good name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.